<laughs> oh, I didn't tell you, by the way. So I'm in the shed, as you can see. I did, you, after we stopped recording, my wife locked me in. <laughs> locked me in the shed? <laughs> she, she, she said it was by accident. Mm. I had, and I can't get, and I'm trying to ring her up. Everyone's asleep because we stopped recording. I'd say about so there's a wind, a false window, and I had to get me climb out the window. I don't know how I fit through that wow. window. I, could, I climbed out, <laughs> and yeah, and not only that, she done it again the other night. <laughs> I'm like, stop locking me in. <laughs> Take the padlock into the shed with you. It's summertime, and the living is anything but easy. Because it's time for SummerSlam! The lovely Miss Elizabeth and the Macho Man Randy Savage request the honor of your presence at their wedding, where it will truly be a match made in heaven! And then nuptials turn to napalm! In a match made in hell! Sergeant Slaughter, Colonel Mustafa, General Adnan, the Triangle of Terror, square off against the red-hot combination of the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. It's time for red-hot action. It's time for SummerSlam. Hello, welcome to that 90s Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, James Sunstall. And today we are reviewing SummerSlam 91, another classic 19 WWE paper review. Joining me once again from the Badlands, we have Podfather Mads. How do you Mads? Hello, yeah, it's a great. Did you say SummerSlam 91? Because I've almost watched SummerSlam 1990, so I would have looked a bit of an idiot. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've watched it, yeah. Um, classic's a bit of a stretch, maybe, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what everyone picked of the show. So, and rejoining us from his latest scrap of a delivery scooter, we have Mr. Dan Griffin. Now then, boys, how are we all doing? Thanks for having me back. I've not been fighting delivery scooters, I've, I've spent eight hours wrestling beds today. No, genuinely, <laughs> I was genuinely shifting beds from house to house. I'm back again, teaching the world about the sins of toxic masculinity. We have PC Rob. Hi, hi, how are you all doing? Um, I'm really worried because I, I watched Summer Shed 91. I thought this was seven. <laughs> <laughs> there were some good sheds that year. There were some good sheds. Some with false windows as well. <laughs> I especially like the ones where the, your partner locks you in and goes to bed. It's a nice extra workout in the day just having to dive through the window to get out. Said it was an accident, but we'll find out in about two hours' time. It was a hint. <laughs> yeah. And and joining us, Mags's tag team partner over at Badlands, Mr. Paul Tolly. How how you doing, Paul? I'm all right. I think I think you you're the one who who've made the accident here, uh, inviting me. But f- f- thanks for the invite. Looking forward to it. <laughs> no problem. So today, everyone, we are reviewing SummerSlam '91. It happened August 26 at Madison Square Garden. In the rest of the media world today, we've got some uh, pretty good uh, choices here. So, on top of both the US and the UK music charts, we had uh, Brian Adams. Everything I'll do, I'll do it for you. Uh, for you. Wow, that, well, that, was like... that, that was probably number one still at, at SummerSlam. <laughs> and, uh, still at Survivor Series. <laughs> SummerSlam '92. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
on top of the movie charts at the time, in the US movie charts, we had uh, Hot Shots, which is a fucking hilarious movie. And on top of the UK charts, my favourite movie of all time, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. I haven't watched uh, that in ages, and that is a banger of a film. I'm well, surprised it wasn't Robin Hood. Yeah, you would have thought so, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not uh, allowed I... Is uh, he swapped a Terminator 2 VHS video for a Bradford City season ticket? I.e., he gave away his Bradford City season ticket for a Terminator 2 VHS. <laughs> and I bet he had no regrets whatsoever. No. <laughs> cool. And on top of the video game world at the time, we just got the release of the Super Nintendo with Super Mario World. Uh, growing up, like as far as I can remember, like my parents told me, my first console was a Sega Master System, but the first console. I actually remember having, like, when I was about five or six, was a Super Nintendo. So, like, just reading that sentence just brought back so many memories. I can imagine you had a lot of uh, playing the Super Nintendos yourselves. I was never a Super Nintendo guy. I didn't get one till I was in my 20s. I was always a, uh, a Sega person. I had uh, a Master System and then Mega Drive, uh, Dreamcast, and then I went to Sony after that. And I was just too young for a Super Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had a Super Nintendo. I loved it. It was it was my first console. My first was the regular Nintendo, but but Super Nintendo was the first console I loved. Yeah, I, I think uh, I got it for Christmas, and I think the games I got was uh, Super Mario All Stars, which was when you think about one of the original HD collections. <laughs> um, I had that. I think I had Power Rangers. And uh, I think Aladdin. So, uh, yeah, great memories. Uh, at least you had Mario. Power Rangers. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> still not my Power Rangers. You've still I've... got the Power Rangers game. I've got the Power Rangers game. I've got the Master System and the Super Nintendo, um, although I've got a retro gaming collection. When um, a guy came to install the um, my new washing machine, he was like, um, oh, you've got a uh, Mega CD. My granddad had one of them. It's like, <laughs> hang on a sec. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> Get out! <laughs> I had the uh, the first FIFA that you played diagonally. Oh, yeah, Mega Drive. Yeah, yeah. I hated that. It's, it's like a bigger yeah, game. Like, need more memory. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, Vince McMahon opens the show. What did you reckon to his uh, Heaven and Hell promo? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sorry. Go on, go on, bro. I was just going to say that when they were um, sort of showing um, Hogan and the Warrior and Sergeant Slaughter and stuff, it looks like Sky Sports when they're announcing the team. They're sort of stepping forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you say that. Step I didn't forward. think the graphics were actually that bad for 1991. It looked pretty good up until you saw the until you saw Hogan and Warrior stood there, and Hogan just looked like he was trying to take a massive cocaine fueled shit. <laughs> yeah, he probably was. <laughs> um, I think I said I said on on the last episode we did how how much I miss these Vince McMahon openings because he puts so much effort into them. He really gets passionate about them, and uh, I have to agree with Dan. I thought the graphics were were way beyond what should have been available in 1991. The the SummerSlam going across the screen with a Hawk uh, popping out of the, the jet letter S. And, yeah, I thought that we, it was really well done. I mean, not on today's graphics, but for 1991, it was really, really standout. Yeah, I think they, I feel like they actually put some effort into it instead mm-hmm. of, like, phoning it in like they do these days. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, like like uh, like Mag says, yeah, that's because Vince did it. 
and Vince is a yeah. brilliant hype guy. And I love I love the line nuptials turn to napalm. Yeah. <laughs> what a line that is. <laughs> and they, well, they had to go the obvious they had to go the obvious route say summertime and the living is far from easy. <laughs> yeah. He used to do the intros during the Attitude Era, didn't he? Uh Freddie Blassie, and they used to be so good as well. Yeah. yeah. They were so. more kind of like touch on your heartstrings and, and That's right. get you to like yearn for, for days of old where Vince is like, get excited for this wrestling. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be 12 matches of absolute dog shit, but it's <laughs> going to be fun. And uh, there was a t- the TNA guy, he sadly passed away a couple of months ago. He was pretty good, like the TNA guy during the late noughties and early two- early 2010s. Uh, he was really good. I had like a real good voice for his intros and that. So uh that's what we're missing to like good intros for shows. But as we get into the show, on commentary, went for a treat. We've got Gorilla, Bobby Heenan, and uh, Roddy Piper. So three of my favorites on here. And uh, this is about the time as well that Bobby Heenan started moving more full time with commentary because obviously a lot of these clients he managed, like uh, Mr. Perfect and that, he's uh, they're getting managed by some other people now. And this is the time he actually fully concentrates on commentary, which I'm not complaining because he's my favorite color guy of all time. Yeah, by a, it's not even close that nobody could touch him for for the quick wit for just how good he was as a as a commentator. Uh, I, I like the the uh, inclusion of Roddy Piper as well. He's very excitable. He's uh he's on oh, yeah. Piper. You could hear him quite a few times during the broadcast uh, where his voice was going because he was just like screaming at the top of his lungs so much. And yeah. especially in the Virgil match, he he damn near had a <laughs> had a stiffy for Virgil. <laughs> we'll definitely be getting to that. So the first match to kick us off, it's uh, the Dragon, or as we know him as Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who's made his uh, grand return to the WWE. Uh, for people thinking that he hasn't really been seen for two or three years now, he went over to WCW, became a massive success over there, wrestling some classic matches with Ric Flair. And it was one of them cases, uh, Vince McMahon came along and had no intentions of using them proper, but just thought, well, I don't want WCW to use them, so just offered them more money. And uh, he's teamed up with uh, the British Bulldog and Kerry Von Eric, Texas Tornado, and they're facing power and glory along with the Warlord. So, uh, yeah, so what do you think to Ricky Steamboat coming back? Before we get into the match, what the fuck was Steamboat wearing? Like we, had, um, we, had, we had Kerry Von Erich's outfit on WrestleMania 7 that looked like like redneck Ric Flair. This looked like <laughs> one of the one of the puppets from Jurassic Park fucked Barney. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really subtle for WWF to, to really not really play on that Ricky the Dragon Steamboat nickname. I didn't even realise he, he was the dragon until until I saw him come out looking like a fucking dragon. <laughs> Did he look like a dragon, though? <laughs> yeah, a very weird dragon. A dragon that's uh, maybe uh, gone a bit, got a bit too close to to uh, some some like Latino. Yeah, he looks like that dinosaur that spits at Dennis Nedry in uh, in Jurassic Park. <laughs> the, the flappy one, like Wah! yeah. <laughs> That scared me as a child. I was so scared of that dinosaur as a child. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So uh, it's uh, Roma and um, Dragons kick off the match, and uh, Roma hits some nice drop kicks. But can anyone throw a bit of arm dragged in Steamboat? 
That nope. one off the top rope was gorgeous, uh, where uh, Roman jumped into it and he was able to to pull off that that arm drag. It was absolutely beautiful. He uh, was so crisp, was uh, Ricky Steamboat, a massive waste in, in yeah. WWF. He was too good for this match. You you could see he was several levels above anyone else in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's so smooth, like you say, so crisp. There's one there's one bit where um where he, they he, someone does a backdrop uh, backbreaker on him. And his selling where he goes limp is just fantastic. He's uh, yeah, he's far too good for for this match. It was perfect. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to say when he went for the roll up on, uh, I can't remember he went on for the roll up on, but then Hercules came in to try and clothesline him, and as he's rolled the guy up, he just ducks out of the way. Yeah, yeah. it's it just was, so cool. It's brilliant. Hercules looked really confused. He's like, "Where's he gone?" Because he like did that matrix. <laughs> <laughs> has, has his head gone that way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was the perfect kind of foil for the for the heels in this. Uh, just his selling was absolutely superb, and and then it was good that they made a point of him being the the kind of like healing peril in this match because yeah. he worked so well to kind of like get those fans invested. I mean, to be fair, the fans were hot pretty much throughout the show. I thought this was a really good crowd. Uh, a couple of people who annoyed me in, in the front rows, to be fair, but uh, yeah, this was this was a, a really good opening. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a good match. I was just going to say, it's Sorry, really because when the show started, there was just this sort of um, quiet period where everyone was sat down. Apart from, there's about five um, British people, about ten rows back, like waving flags and just dancing around like idiots, and it's like <laughs> it's really proud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think about four, maybe five rows back, uh, right next to like the the stairs that were, was coming right down the middle of the hard cam. Uh, I'm sure I saw Eric Bischoff like popping his head like into the into shot. It looked I, I could have sworn it was that kind of uh, Bart Ken doll kind of hairstyle. And then there was this dickhead in the. Um, it was in the second row. He had like a a mustard coloured jumper on. And every time uh, one of the the faces was was getting up a bit of steam, it was stood up and like like leaning over these little kids in the front row. And I was like, "Sit down, you fucking wanker! You probably <laughs> I would just couldn't stop focusing on him." And then after about three matches, he disappeared because the uh, one of the the security guards had like told him to calm down a few times, and I think they turfed him out uh, because he just didn't appear for the rest of the show after that. <laughs> I feel woefully underprepared because I didn't know we were reviewing the the audience one by one as well. I've just reviewed the wrestlers. (laughs) I think he must have found uh, Jake's uh, cocaine bag earlier. He he honestly, it it was like he was caught up. It was so hyperactive. It was unreal. I'll be sure to blow up the picture of him on the uh, video. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Pittsburgh MSG crowd, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah, wrestling, yeah, wrestling in MSGs is just always always brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even 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 to this day, like. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, yeah, nice back and forth match. Uh, end of the match comes where Bulldog hits the power slam on Paul Roma, and it's followed by a dive and crossbody up by the Dragon and one two three. And uh, I mentioned it; this is the first time back for uh, Steamboat, but this is also his last appearance for uh, many many years till WrestleMania twenty five, where he's been. <laughs> Besides uh, Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, Steamboat steals the show. And uh, this is also the last match for uh, Paul Roma, who's been in the company for a few years now. And uh, he ended up leaving and he went on to WCW where he joined the Four Horsemen, where infamously he's been labelled as the worst Four Horsemen member. So uh, 
What do you think to the them two departures? Uh, Steamboat, obviously, he's only just come back and went, but someone like Paul Romer, who's been consistently on the show for a few uh, shows in a row now, uh, is he best or just, nah? It, isn't it uh, being a horseman a bit like pizza? You know, even if it's bad pizza, it's still pizza. Even if you're yeah. a bad horseman, you're still in the horseman, you know, it's, it's still in the <laughs> I mean, it goes on your resume, I suppose, but when you when you are labelled the worst one, it's like being labelled as, like, anchovies. Nobody has you. You're never going to be I, in the conversation. Like it's even worse as well, because when you're saying you're the 17th worst four horsemen. <laughs> <laughs> Not even four. You're <laughs> the 17th of four. <laughs> But I make a case. Admit to being in the horseman, you know, like um, Jeff Jarrett was uh, desperate to be a horseman and was hanging around, and they were always like, "No, you're just an associate," sort of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> at least we got it. In. Yes, it was. Fuck I'm Jarrett, we're having Paul Romer. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is like being picked last at football the day at school. Oh, who, who can we have? Well, there's Jarrett or there's Paul Romer. Fuck's sake, you haven't bought off. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have two goals to start. <laughs> yeah. I make a case that uh, Mongo is the worst for horsemen, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> so we uh, <laughs> move into the next segment, and we see Sean Mooney, and he's with uh, Mr. Perfect and the coach. And uh, the coach, I think he's some uh, random Canadian like journeyman wrestler who didn't make it big, but this is probably the most well-known he's ever been as the coach for like this one show. Um, I, I choose Perf- to believe he's Bill Alfonso's dad. <laughs> he's a former WWF um, uh, USA tag team champion. He beat Gorilla Monsoon and Killer Kowalski. Oh, well. on his own. Well, well, he's with his brother. <laughs> with the I whistle. think it was like Jeff or something. But he was a commentator for Herb Abraham's um, UWF, so he'll have plenty of cocaine filled stories. Uh. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have to get him in the podcast. Is, is he still alive? <laughs> <laughs> I, I doubt it. <laughs> it's hanging out with him. Yeah. That 90s cocaine story podcast. If he is alive, get him to bring the whistle at least. Is that you, you usually approach talent. First question, are you still alive? Yeah. <laughs> That's why you can't get the Undertaker on. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Perfect just cuts the promos. Like, you know, good promos. Like, you know, you're excellent about Brett, but you're not perfect. It's only one Mr. Perfect. And he says perfect about 59 times, but you give it a pass because he is so perfect. <laughs> so we get into the next match and uh, we go into it. It's uh, the IC title match between Mr. Perfect and Brett Hart. And, uh, yeah, you see uh, Stu and Helen in the crowd there. Uh, is Stu Hart the most unpleasant-looking man you've ever seen? <laughs> he looked like he just couldn't give a toss that his, that his son was there winning his first uh, WWF uh, singles title, and he couldn't give a monkey's. His clap looked so forced, like one of those claps where you you have to do it, and yeah. you, you know that your kid's performance in the school play was terrible, but you like... It's a, such a... It just looked like he just did not want to be there. Yeah, I love that. I love how James gets uh, Stu Hart's granddaughter on the show, butters her up, and then and then we slag him off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've done that with all my guests, uh, <laughs> but no, it's and um, yeah, I love um, what do you call it? Uh, Heenan, like he has such a treat tonight. Like he's commentary and he's talking about Piper, 
and Piper's on about home, and uh, Bobby Heenan says to Piper, I heard your parents ran from home. What? That's all I heard. But he was constantly <laughs> slagging off uh, Piper. It was great. And It's um, a great line. And, the, and uh, one of my favourite uh, things he says, and it's something I do remember from being a kid, uh, Mr. Pep, uh, he accuses Brett of grabbing their uh, perfect's hair. And uh, what he called, he said, Mr. Perfect won't grab Brett's hair. He went, why? Too many oil slicks. <laughs> he was just constantly on it but the whole first match... sort of five the first sort of five to seven minutes was all built around perfect grab perfect and brett both grabbing the hair i've never seen a match worked around hair pulling before but it was yeah. actually it was they were just both so slick as well yeah um, well, i found weird was that this was the second match on the card yeah. and it, this is two people who were arguably the very best wrestlers at that time, and yeah. they, they essentially the the not even the curtain jerker the 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 come down after the curtain jerker. But yeah. this match, this match was phenomenal, perfectly paced. Uh, both really knew how to work their characters. That I loved the 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 ripping of the singlet. Um, it was just, it was just an amazing match. Brett working over Perfect's leg, uh, yeah, it's just Perfect can for me always straddled that very fine line of selling perfectly or overselling. And in this, I think he sold absolutely perfectly. And and yeah, I I, I could watch this match over and over again. It, it was so well done. Yeah, yes. I agree. Um, it, it felt like a scrap. Like part parts of it felt like a real real scrap. It really took you out of out of it being wrestling, and it it, it looked really authentic. I think like at times it looked purposefully scruffy. Like a lot of the times they were they were they they were um, slinging each other um, into the ropes and that, or, and the other one yanked them back, and it wouldn't be as smooth as you'd see a, as you'd see a usual wrestling match. But it's because like neither of them. They were always in such close proximity for pretty much the whole match. It yeah, did feel like so, a real fight. Yeah, and like it was all about the selling and um, Brett, like the ten because spot. You know, it's just he's the best. You know, just running, standing fast. And that, that's the thing. Like, and you know, people say, "Oh, Brett's a bitter old man. He keeps complaining." But he's got right to complain because when you watch him sell a fucking match, and then you watch today's shit, he's got right to complain about today's shit and. You know, and it's like Jim Ross the other day uh, about AEW on his podcast. He says they don't fucking listen. All they do is gather up like quail outside the ring. Oh, and there's about a hundred pound wrestler jumps on them, and they got all upset. And Brandon Cutler, I haven't got a fucking clue. Who Brandon Cutler is apparently he's friends with the Young's books, and that's all I know. And he was offended by it. And I'm like, and I think the revival or FTRs, yeah, who are genuine old school wrestling team, they was like, wow, imagine disrespecting one of the top names in our business who paved the way for us. Um, the Revival, I've got a feeling the Revival, if if they was offered a better deal in WWE and like actual better booking, they would have stayed with WWE because it feels like they hate AEW. It feels, and I know Jim Ross hates AEW, but the man's getting a nice payday, so fair enough to him. Yeah, I mean, it's not often nowadays I agree with stuff that Jim, uh, Jim Ross says, but I agree with, with his words. I just don't agree with how he went about it. I don't think publicly like shaming uh, your talent is the way to go. Um, and I think that's what Brandon Cutler's point was, that um, that 
they they got offended because they did it in a public forum rather than last uh, pulling her aside and saying, "Look, it 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 doesn't work. Yeah, it is just kind of a because he used the the term uh, it's a trapeze act." Um, and I, I get his not, point. I, it, it, yeah, it it's it is annoying watching it because it it's not special anymore because no. you see it in every single match. But I do think he could have maybe gone around uh, around that. Uh, his comments in a different way. It's funny though, because I mean, I listened to a Jim Ross podcast right when he started the um, whole thing with um, uh, you know his, his his latest podcast, and um, he was talking about sort of late eighties, early nineties WCW, and saying how good the wrestling was, and he said he yeah. just didn't understand why it didn't draw and get good ratings, and that kind of says everything that that you kind of bury yourself in the old school mentality and don't realize that it, it's more than just the wrestling. So yeah. I kind of get both sides of the argument and Jim Ross has definitely got a blind spot for what draws. If, if he just sits there and goes, it's good. Well, I don't know. You know? And, and to be fair I su- though, I suppose you can take his words with a grain of salt because of how much he buries the talent as well in his commentary. Like he doesn't know about the wrestlers. He doesn't go out of his way to, to to learn their backstories or even the names in in some cases, um, and I've always got the feeling that he's only in AEW because his wife died and he wanted to to keep busy. Yeah, to be fair though, AEW, I know that you say they put on some flashy moves and that, but I've probably watched five AEW shows and they've been on for over a year, so they're not that much of a draw. <laughs> Well, tell that to the RWC because they they kind of like love when when they beat NXT in the ratings, oh, yeah. the, the demos. Hey, hey, we beat the developmental brand. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, after that, I can't, Jim, I can't believe it. It's not me shitting on AEW this time. Oh, I fucking hate AEW. I don't hate it. It just annoys me. It's not so much them; it's the fans. But never mind. Uh, but we'll get back. We'll, Listen, we'll get back. Let's to get back to some wrestle joy. Oh, yeah, we'll get back to some, some good stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, wrestle joy. Um, but we'll get back to the good stuff. So, yeah, uh, end of the match comes between Brett and Perfect. Um, like, uh, Brett kicks out the perfect spot. Um, I love how Piper says, it's the first time someone's ever kicked out. And I'm thinking, no, Piper, like, Warrior kicked out about two shows ago. <laughs> That's the Piper series. Probably kicked out as well, I think. He probably kicked out on the live shows. I don't know about pay per view, uh, but it, more than likely he's kicked out of it on the. Oh, he kicked out of it at the Royal Rumble. If that counts, yeah. Um, but that, that finish though was so well done. The the yeah. way he locked in the the sharpshooter and 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 stood up and uh, perfect tapped out. That was that was very very well done. I really enjoyed that finish. It was well, such a smooth like, transition. Mm. It was so well, well done. Getting the grapevine on it and then standing up was <laughs> just sublime. Well, apparently, yeah. So I read his, I love Britt's book. I've said before, and I read his book, and apparently it was the night before, and he's in bed with his wife, Julie, at the time, and it came to him. He was like, quick, Julie, get on the floor. And he's like, he found a different way of getting his leg over, not in the way you would think. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently the night before, he got her in the sharpshooter, and he's like, right, this is the finish of the match. So, um, well, from what I remember about Bret Hart's book, it was amazing that he was actually in bed with his wife. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, that's by his own words, Darren. Don't give me that look. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, like, he, he's very open and honest about it. So, uh, great book, by the way. I recommend it. But, yeah, so Bret Hart 
became uh, the new IC uh, Intercontinental Champion. And believe it or not, this is the first time the IC title changed by submission. Wow. Oh, wow. It used to be a thing in the day, though, didn't they? You know, it, it mm. was only sort of um, as MMA sort of grew to prominence that they started considering submissions to be a finish. Um, a lot of times when you see Bret Hart locking the sharpshooter, they just ring the bell straight away as if uh, it's managed to get them into the hold. Let's just end the match. Yeah. yeah. There sort of thing. Uh, and uh, after the match and uh, while the music's playing, uh, Lord Alfred Hayes goes over to Stu. Oh, this and is has... so awkward. I know. <laughs> Cringy it was awkward. Painful. <laughs> Stu could not give Stu... a fuck. He well, didn't he want to talk to, to Alfred. He didn't really want to talk to Brett when Brett came up. Uh, when, just... when he went, when he went to give him an answer, he's like, "How do you feel, Stu?" And you could hear he's like, Murder. "And that's great, Stu." And uh, you he's see Brett come words. over. <laughs> you see Brett come over, hugs his mother, and uh, you see a little cameo from uh, Bruce Hart, from, uh, the least talented Hart brother. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, this is also um, kind of uh, a, a, well, a big break for Mister Perfect's in ring career because. Going into this match, he had like really bad back injuries. Obviously, with the amount of selling we've seen him do on shows, I'm not surprised. And apparently, he was in agony. Um, but they said uh, before the show, they said uh, that Vince McMahon went to Perfect and said, "Can you put Brett over?" And Perfect said, "Yes." He said because they were good friends. They were wrestled other good house shows, and Brett put him over so many times. And uh, Brett said, he said, I truly believe it was, if, I don't know if he's just been arguing, but he said, I truly believe if it wasn't me, Perfect wouldn't have done the show. But he said, I respect him so much for putting me over and uh, put him over big time. And so this is a bit of a break for Mr. Perfect, but one of the greatest of all time. So are you sad to see him having a break from wrestling? Yeah, but to be honest, the injury he had, he had two bulging discs, um, which are essentially herniated discs, and he had a broken tailbone while he wrestled that match. He wrestled to that level with those injuries. A friend of mine um, slipped a disc, like fully slipped a disc, and she was out of commission pretty much for 10 months. Wow. So for him to wrestle like that with those injuries, just it puts the match in a whole new perspective. I'm sure this was one of the injuries where he cashed in a loads of London uh, uh, insurance policy as well. That's right, yeah. So, or the, uh, so he made quite a pretty penny that. from it. I mean, <laughs> it's still not going to um, like make up for two bulging discs and a broken uh, coccyx, but yeah, he still uh, made quite a, a chunk of change from it. <laughs> cool. So we'll go to the next segment, and we've seen Mean Gene Oakland, and he's with the Bushwhackers, accompanied by Andre the Giant, and um, they show a video of the earthquake attacking uh, Andre the Giant, and uh, that's how this match got set up. You've got, oh, and also uh, the Typhoon uh, tent, well, t- oh, Tuggers, the Tugboat tent healed during the match and joined oh, the uh, fight to become Typhoon. Um, <laughs> I, 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 it. Off... Sorry? I, I can't believe you've missed off the advert for the hot ticket. It's the biggest oh, pay-per-view yeah, of the year. Yeah. <laughs> how weird was it that uh, a Hulk Hogan documentary was uh, on pay-per-view? I mean, who the fuck were paying for that? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, this was a wedding on pay-per-view. Yeah, that is yep. very, very true. Uh, but <laughs> one thing about this uh, this like interview segment I thought was funny was uh, was Mean Gene tried to like talk with Andre, and just as Andre was about to say something, the Bushwhackers chipped in and just like yeah. took over. And like, Jesus <laughs> Christ! And 
they they were stood there. I'm sure they had Parkinson's disease because they just couldn't stay still. They were very corked up uh, when it came to, to that interview. <laughs> yeah, that that was the thing with the bushwhackers. But you, watching that match, you know, you just think that the bushwhackers embody everything about what professional wrestling should be, because. Yeah. You can have as many six-star matches as you want, but they, these were two guys in the last stage of the career, and they'd been known for being hardcore wrestlers, and they completely adapted the style to be fan favourites. You know, they, they, they must have sold more merch than you can shake a stick at sort of thing. They, they were massively over doing yeah. extremely limited wrestling and just doing that bushwhacker march and becoming iconic characters. And licking people's heads and... Yeah. I'm sure every time they come out, there was an extra bar out of each of the baseball caps. <laughs> but, um, at, the, at the start of this match, though, can I just ask, why did Earthquake try and flex? He looked like a marshmallow that had been dropped on a barbershop floor. <laughs> we always uh, point that out, him flexing, we just love it. But I tell you, it is, though, you know, when the uh, natural disasters makes their way to the ring and you see the two of them. They just look fucking awesome, don't they? Like two big, massive guys. I would love to see that these days. They do. They do. I mean, and, how uh, old was Earthquake there? He must have been, what, 28? It, yeah. He looked, <laughs> looked legitimately about 50 year old. <laughs> his hair, hairline was not kind to him. That's On the Bushwhackers' entrance as well, there was a great line. They've enjoyed great success licking and whacking their way through everything. <laughs> <laughs> as have <laughs> we all. <laughs> The comments I'm glad you pointed point that one out. It, it was <laughs> in the previous match, Bret Hart won. The, um, the Piper said the coach has done a, is doing a lot of blow when he was uh, uh, blowing his whistle. <laughs> one of my favourite things was when uh, the Bushwhackers was making their way to the ring. We'll probably talk about the entrance more than the match. But uh, when they was uh, making their way to the ring... Um, what he called it, and licking the fans, and Piper's like, "Ah, don't come over and lick me. If you want to lick someone, lick the gut blonde guy next to me with the dark roots." And Bobby Heenan's <laughs> like, "I beg your pardon. There's someone with the dark roots around us." And the way he said it, though, just so dry. I just loved it. But um, that's, I think, but, yeah, I think I, my favorite, my favorite line was uh, when. Uh, uh, I think it was Piper said to Heenan, what would he do if he was managing the Bushwhackers? And Heenan just come out straight away when I'd commit suicide. That, yeah. that brutal that he would not ever manage the Bushwhackers. Just, the guy was amazing. Yeah. Could have ended up and, with the uh, Tim series. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Bobby leaves uh, commentary because he hears that Hulk Hogan's about and he's going to go meet him in his locker room. But uh, as for the match... Uh, <laughs> The Bushwhackers had more offense in this match than deserved, but in the end, the natural, uh, natural disasters had to cheat to beat the Bushwhackers, which was crazy. And Earthquake Splash, one, two, three. And uh, was it one, two, three? Um, was it DQ? I forgot. No, it was a bit splash. They won. Yeah. And uh, then they went to attack uh, Andre, but uh, Legion Doom makes the save. And we were all about natural, disaster, natural disasters looking awesome, but Legion Doom with the spikes and that, they're just. Oh man, I, could, I, I can watch it every day and they make the save and uh, next thing we see, we see Bobby Heenan and he's going towards Hulk Hogan's door. We don't see Hogan, but uh, yeah, Bobby Heenan's carrying uh, the big gold belt and he says that, you know, uh, he's getting him all hyped up, ready for, for the real world's champion, Ric Flair, and uh, the door shuts and he drops the title. 
<laughs> you're embarrassing me. <laughs> I wonder if that was the original belt, though, because it looked awfully thin, like it was a, a, a knockoff. I think um, it was, because WCW never paid uh, Flair his deposit back, and he, had, and he had still had it, and he sent it over. So, yeah, I think it was legit. Wow. It's yeah. it's a real shame they don't have um, more of the sort of superstars of wrestling and primetime wrestling on the network because uh, I did actually watch the primetime from two weeks after this when Flair makes his debut. But presumably this had been like a, um ongoing storyline where Heenan's flashing the belt about. Yeah, um, it was... they, they didn't they didn't make it a big thing that it had it, so they must have introduced it previously. Yeah, I think Flair. Another thing, one of those kind of dubbing things where they they made the drop the seeds of a storyline, but ne- it never really followed through. I mean that. I mean, how many times have we we spoke about how how big that match should have been, Hogan versus Flair, the two biggest people around wrestling at that time, and it never come off in 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 the WWF, even though they they like planted these seeds in in a, a major pay per view. Yeah. And uh, next we see the matcha man. He's on the phone uh, getting ready for the, the red wedding. And uh, then we see uh, Sean Min. He's joined by DiBiase and Sherry. And uh, just a great promo. I absolutely loved the two of them. The, the pairing was absolutely great. And uh, <laughs> the, the entrance, uh, the next match we see is for the million dollar title. It's Ted DiBiase against um, Virgil. And like, I, I think Sherry, like, I didn't realize as a child. Um, <laughs> But you watch it now, and like air character was drawn on like sex appeal, and you see Ted come out, but you see Sherry come out first, and you see her licking her lips, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> as um, uh, again with the commentary that there's a bit in the match where sort of um, Sherry's bent over, and you know the sort of cleavage kills <laughs> the camera, and um, Piper's been made uh, making a thing of calling um, um, Bobby Heenan boobs all night, yeah, and he just. Yeah. Hey, boobs, but not really <laughs> talking to me at the time. It says a lot that the first thing I noticed that I'd written down for this was that, unlike at WrestleMania 7, Virgil actually got his own entrance music. <laughs> and it's a great song as well, so I'll give him that. Not a great career, but he had a great song. <laughs> um, and it was a great start. To, the, to be honest, this was actually a really good match. I enjoyed it, and like I don't know if it was because Piper was pointing it over so much, and there was the part where the two of them was knocked on the floor, and Piper was like, come on, Virgil! And he was really going for it. Well, he, and, uh, he, he pulls Virgil in for uh, what Virgil thinks is a handshake, and he grabs hold of his head and kisses him on the head. And, yeah. like, Piper was heavily, heavily invested in this match. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It gave it that extra something. This was, this was my favourite match of the night. The, the thing was, oh. the crowd was heavily invested in this yeah. match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was a major storyline um, that they'd spent years building. Um, and it just goes to show, if you, if you put the effort in, people will be really invested. Yeah. I mean, and, the, uh, the only kind of downside was when Earl Hebner made the show about him by uh, changing the rules of uh, of wrestling and and not DQing um, Million Sorry. Dollar Man, send, sending Sherry away and making the match restart. And Typical even, Hebner. Typical the, Hebner. The, the worst thing was uh, when he said, if Sherry doesn't go to the back, she'll be permanently suspended like he has the authority. Is he Vince McMahon now all of a sudden? <laughs> I don't know he where the, Earl Hebner's made the, got this power from. No wonder he, he started same selling same. those knockoff T-shirts. Ah, yeah, bastard. <laughs> I was just about to say <laughs> 
there is a problem where they, they, they interview um, DiBiase and Sherry, and I think Sean Mooney drops the line that um, um, Jack Tunney's made uh, Earl Hebner's decision official. So, <laughs> just, just to like, just <laughs> retroactively make it yeah. sound correct. Yeah. Well, um, in the end, um, Virgil wins. Uh, the uh, head they throws uh, DiBiase's head into the exposed turnbuckle, and uh, like massive cheer for him, and like massive pop. And all I put down to is like. How great is Ted DiBiase? We always make the case like he's the greatest never to win the world title. Surely the God it's him. Um, that's a stretch, I think. I'd, I'd say probably someone like Scott Hall, if for me, uh, to have never yeah. won the world title. But but Ted DiBiase was he knew his character so well. He knew yeah. that he could draw. He he could make anybody look uh, ten times better the wrestler than than he was. And yeah, he he made Virgil. Uh, look absolutely a million dollars in this match, pun intended. Yeah, you, you couldn't uh, you couldn't fault them. Like you know, they they generally when you watch it and you look back, they generally try to make Fairjo a big star because you've got Piper putting them over like Jay Ann putting over Stone Cold on yeah. commentary, yeah. and you've putting them in the ring with one of the greatest of all time, Terry Austin. I mean. You can't. I wish they put that much effort in today's uh, wrestling, trying to put someone over huge uh, the way they did. But good match, really enjoyed it. And fair just your new uh, million dollar champion. Uh, and next up, we see it's Mean Gene Oakland, and he's with the Mountie in the uh, New York Police Department. I fucking love the Mountie. <laughs> Those yeah. cattle prod sound effects. Yeah, the way- <laughs> they, they're so fake. I was trying to actually. I paused the the show to try and find out exactly what that cattle prod was made of and it looks like do you know the starter for a, a strip lap uh how yeah. that it actually yeah. looks like the end of one of them just taped up onto a bit of a stick uh but yeah the way he was slagging the the new york cops off calling them hicks and uh saying yeah. uh, uh don't take it easy on boss man stuff like that. it was yeah the mounting was a such a good character and he's only around for a, such a short period of time as the mounter uh it, yeah, it could have done so much more with that character, I think. Yeah, a bit of a plug here, but uh, very recently, and uh, by the time this show comes out, the interview will be out, I interviewed uh, PCO, who was Rebecca uh, Pierre, mm-hmm. and uh, we was talking about the Mountie and like the idea, and the Mountie actually brought him in because he was working in Puerto Rico, and uh, it was a great story, and he was all about like how much work the Mountie actually put into it, and uh, it was really good. So uh, I can't wait to put that interview out. But uh, next we see Sean Minnies with the Boss Man, and uh, another good promo by the Boss Man, Paul Tolley's uh, favorite. And uh, <laughs> next up, we got the uh, the Jailhouse match. And for people who doesn't know what the Jailhouse match is, the loser spends a night in jail. Um, so yeah, this was a fun match, and one of my favorite lines during it, Bobby Heenan again. Uh, he keeps saying that I'm going to go out and buy some smokes. And he says it two or three times before uh, Gorilla asks him, why? You don't smoke. No, but the boss man needs us to bribe the screws. <laughs> I pissed myself laughing when he said that. I... <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't know they used the word screw over there for the guards, you see. <laughs> so I didn't know that. So when he said it, I pissed myself laughing. <laughs> Come on, Tommy, uh, take it away. Ah, uh, what? This actually disappointed me, this match. Oh, get what? to fuck, no, I thought, Come I thought, on. We're I all thought... waiting on you, like, crawling over this match. I love, you know I love the Sorry. boss, man. 
It's the only reason I invited you. Yeah. <laughs> you're not you're coming back for this. Survivor Series. Gone up this. <laughs> I, it, was just, it was just a bit of a boring match. The premise was good. And and all the stuff going on around it was good. But the actual match. And this was the first match where the crowd, they, the crowd were really quiet during this match. Do you think there was a, a botch at the end? I know it was because Bossman hits the Bossman slam. And it was for a two count, but it was like it was a weird two count. Like, it wasn't meant to happen. And in the end up, they changed it where the Mountie attempts a power driver and the boss man reverses it into a Alabama slammer and he gets yeah. the one, two, three. Do you think that was a botch? Like, that counts? Yeah. I don't think it was meant to kick out. Yeah, it must have been. No one kicks out of the boss man slam. No. <laughs> and... and... After the match, so the Mountie win. Uh, sorry, the, the boss man wins. So the police uh, drags the Mountie, and uh, this is where it just starts. Like you're hurting me, you're hurting me, and they like chuck him in the back of the paddy wagon, and uh, we'll see him again later. But yeah, uh, I've got so much stuff to say about the Mountie tonight, so we'll get to him again soon. But um, Mean Gene, I, uh, I was going to say, I, I just love the way that wrestling works. That um, if you lose a match, you go to prison. It's like yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were describing him as a criminal because he'd lost the match, and, and it was quite good. Within, I was going to say, in um, Impact recently, um, they've had the, the whole "Who Shot Johnny Bravo" storyline, and it was Larry D, and he, and he got him. Um, Tommy Dreamer challenged him to a match, um, and said that you know if he lost, he'd have to go to prison. And um, yeah, but Larry Rob, D, it wasn't Larry D; it was Lawrence D. Lawrence D. He said. He said. Um, you mean I can get off? A, you can I can get off an attempted murder charge if I win a wrestling match? Tommy <laughs> Dreamer's like, yeah, I make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What What got me about this match though was uh, they were the whole point was who was the official law and order uh, for the WWF, but Bossman wasn't a police officer; he was a former corrections officer. He was a former prison <laughs> officer. So he has no jurisdiction whatsoever. And then we had the Mountie, who, if he was a real Mountie, his jurisdiction ended at the Canadian border. So how did they get the the actual police to be involved in this? Surely it's a waste of, of public funds. Uh, those police should be struck off and there should be a massive investigation into this <laughs> at, at government level. And why were they both so bothered about spending a night in a cell? They've been around, been around enough of the things. Well, yeah. oh, we'll find, Did you see who was in the cell, though? We'll find out later. Oh, for, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> so we get to the part of the show, and uh, this is the halfway point, and it's just like a montage of interviews, basically. Uh, first we see um, Sherry and uh, DiBiase with Mean Gene, and like uh, Rob said, they pointed out that, you, you know, the correct... Uh, Decision is final. Uh, good promo from them. We see Mooney with Brett, and uh, just simple enough promo. <laughs> it wasn't anything special. Brett was the only uh, person on the whole show who didn't shout at the top of his voice. Every other <laughs> promo on the show was just maximum volume. Brett was quite calm and composed. His and, uh, had worn off. <laughs> He'd been brought down to earth by the fact his dad didn't love him. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And uh, we see that uh, we see uh, promos by a disasters boss man. Uh, we see Gene uh, East with Matchman is on the phone, and then we get back to the Mountie, and he arrives at the police station, uh, the jail, and <laughs> he keeps saying, "You stupid, you stupid. Do you know who I am?" And the Mountie. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, so going funny. back to the natural disasters promo. 
when uh, when Earthquake was talking, Jimmy Hart just had to photobomb in the background, and I couldn't tell if he was having a heart attack or having a wank. <laughs> <laughs> just they're just looking in pain, but also using the same kind of like words that he's used in so many promos as well, saying about that like, he's going to get his lawyers. Uh, this was like a travesty of justice and stuff like that. Yeah, it was. It's a typical Jimmy Hart like centre of attention promo, I think. Yeah, and uh, we this see bit was mad. It was just it was promo, promo, promo. Was it always like this back then? It was when it was the halfway point of the show. They would do uh, just this was a piss promos. break. They, yeah. They'd actually put in the show a piss break for the fans. Before <laughs> Vince realised he could put a women's match on. <laughs> <laughs> There was a midpoint in the, in the mid-90s where he put on a midgets match, wasn't it? So uh, yeah. that ended up being the piss break. Uh, we see the Nasty Boys next, and they're cutting the promo and uh, got the tag belts. And Knobs uh, was sweating. Uh, sweaty Knobs. They were so corked up as well. They couldn't oh, stay yeah. still. They really, really couldn't. Oh, wow. I just want to say I saw... Mobs, uh, I, I funny enough, I saw it yesterday. He'd done an interview like a week ago. Oh man, he's gone massive, really. Like, he, he was a big guy then, but I mean, like, well, um, he, he, it's just like his face, there's like no face, it's just like flubber. He's still got the same tattoo, uh, same haircut, like, but um, he, enormous yeah, knobs. He's, he's like 600 <laughs> pounds, stretched out, like that. stretched out his knobs. <laughs> He's been answering them online adverts. <laughs> just before and, uh, this, uh, just before this bit, they um, um, they had a bit where um, uh, Gene Oakland said, um, "For viewers in England, we're going to go to a um, um, a section with Lord Alfred Hayes. For uh, viewers everywhere else, we're we'll back in five minutes." So it, they just went to dead air for everyone. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> in England, they got Lord Alfred Hayes. I don't, I don't know which would have made more sense. Oh. <laughs> I'd have switched over to, to the dead air, I think. And oh, uh, we, we see another video of the uh, Mountie and they go to take his uh, picture and he's hiding his face. And I forgot what the lady says, but he's like, you what? And he, he gets yeah, his oh, picture uh, touched. I think she said something like, oh, didn't Bossman just kick your ass? And he's like, what? <laughs> That's it, yeah. I think, Great I think stuff. This whole, um thing about this whole Mountie segment is it actually looked like a real prison that they were taking. Yeah. They were doing yeah. the real things, you know. In 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 today's product, they have like you know Becky Lynch will get arrested and then she comes back driving the police car, you know. <laughs> so they've got her off charges and they go, "Yeah, we've made a wrongful arrest, therefore you can drive this car as long as you want." It's like an it's like Grand Theft Auto, you know. They should they should arrest her and then you know have Charlie Caruso stood outside the court like three weeks later going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, criminal um, investigation or whatever, but Ben's they, rocking they, up to pay a bail to get her out. We've right. made a wrongful arrest here. Take my motor to go and commit an assault. Yeah, pretty much. She's not. I forgot, to... <laughs> I forgot to mention. I forgot to mention as well. So while the Mountie, all these clips of the Mounties coming up, obviously uh, the natural disasters had an interview, and so it's nasty boys. And during all this time, Jimmy Hart is like, they can't do this to the Mountie. I'm going to get my lawyers on something. They can't do this to my Mountie. <laughs> he was so excited. Uh, yeah, it was so I, funny. I think Sean Money says, here, just watch this VT. Look, there's something else going on with the Mountie. Yeah. Like, and he's there watching it like, getting more and more irate. <laughs> and uh, we see Mean Gene and he's with uh, Legion of Doom. He cuts a promo. And like, 
Just the typical Lee Jardim promo, really, wasn't it? Yeah, you, you can see at the beginning of it where Hawk is thinking about what he's going to say because his promos, he just did them off the cuff. And yeah, it was yeah. A, I thought it was a really, really good promo. I always enjoy uh, Hawk's promos. Yeah, and we go back to the Mountie and uh, it's when they're getting these uh, fingerprints. <laughs> you want the finger? Here's the finger. <laughs> yeah. And they just grab it and just put it yeah. on the first one. None of his fingerprints are in order at all. Just all different my, fingers at once. <laughs> my my favourite thing is that they're doing it and you can actually see the policeman pissing themselves laughing. Yeah. <laughs> so, Send for the so, man. Such good stuff. And uh, then we see Sean Mooney with uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Colonel Mustafa, who we know as the Iron Sheik, and General Adnan. And they mention um, the fact that, but obviously, because we know that the main events could be so predictable who the winner is, they're trying to tease the story. The fact they got uh, Sid Justice on their side as the referee. So uh, they sure show the clip of them talking to him. And uh, then we next see Gene Oakland, and he's with uh, the new debut in uh, Sid Justice or Sid Vicious for WCW fans. Uh, what do you think, Sid? It looked like he was wearing one of Johnny Swinger's cast-offs. <laughs> the, the promo absolutely killed me because uh, Gene opens up with a question and then uh, Sid goes, if I've been asked this question once, I've been asked it a hundred times. And then he says, and my answer a thousand times is I, I'm a man who stands on that. You got asked it a hundred times. How did you answer the same question a thousand times, you fucking idiot? Uh, he's going to answer it. No, he's going to answer it a thousand times. But if you ask, ask him a thousand and one times, then he might consider it. That said, no. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm siding with Sergeant <laughs> Slaughter. But going back to the uh, the Slaughter um, promo interview, I'm watching uh, Adnan uh, or Adenoid, as uh, Roddy Piper called him, and uh, Colonel Mustafa in the background. Did it not remind you of uh, Men in Black when. Uh, the the aliens don't understand what uh, Agent J is saying, and they're just smiling and laughing because they just <laughs> every time Sergeant Slaughter turned to them, they just start laughing and smiling like like they didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. Slaughter also proved he's far from a medical professional when he said that Hogan lost six gallons of blood. <laughs> yeah. They had him. They had him up to. They had him like they had him a transfusion going and just kept cutting him every now and again. It was a strange setup anyway, because you have Sergeant Slaughter, who's the boss, and he's bossing around a colonel and a general, and then he offers Sid a position of a lieutenant, who's above a sergeant. <laughs> so how does this whole thing work? <laughs> and all three of them have got the same medals. It's like, you know, when you normally see a general, like at a big parade, they've got like a, you know, um, loads of medals and stuff, and a sergeant's got a couple. Well, they've all got the same three. There's, there's no logic to it. It's almost like he's stolen valor. <laughs> cool. And uh, next up, we've got Nasty Boys against Legion of Doom for the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Titles in a uh, no holds bad match. And uh, as the Nasty Boys are making their way to the ring, did you see the uh, biggest Nasty Boys fan in the world with the uh, same attire and the, the homemade teddy bears? <laughs> that was Jimmy Hart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they get to the ring, and then we see the Legion of Doom. And like I said earlier, Coming out with them spikes, awesome. But what I was thinking, it's no holds bad match. Why don't you just keep them spikes on? Yeah, just st- stab knobs and sags with with the spikes and Stone Cold like Stunner. That. But it just goes <laughs> to show how big 
the uh, Legion of Doom were so short into this like WWF run that the champs got like the 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 first intro and then they got like the LOD pop afterwards. The the crowd were rabid for Legion of Doom, absolutely rabid for them. That is my pet, one of my pet peeves in wrestling as well. When the champs come out first, mm-hmm. yeah. but it was to the point with that LOD pop that I didn't care. Yeah. I mean, what if you go you... back to the first match, uh, the the heels didn't even get uh, any music. They were already in the ring. They were, <laughs> yeah. they were stood there waiting. It, what that like prefer- dynamite where they just start in the ring? There's no entrance yeah. or anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start things off hot, and it's like no, because that makes no sense. But let's <laughs> back what up. Did... How did you prefer to call the World Wars? Do you prefer calling them the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom? Um, for me, being a WWF guy, it's Legion of Doom. I mean, no, I don't mind them being called uh, Road Warriors. I still totally know who, who people are on about, but for me, it's always LOD. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew I knew them as the Legion of Doom first, so uh, so that's what they yeah. always are to me. Same. And uh, yeah, hot match really starts off, and I tell you what, I did like Animal hits a power bomb and knobs. You know where he drops to his knees, like after he hits the power bomb. It's a pretty badass looking power bomb, and. Uh, and I'll tell you what it is with Nasty Boys. They they are good heels. Uh, they just don't yeah. give a fuck about getting cheered. You know where to, like, not even today, you've seen it for the past 10 years even. Like, the heels like to be cheered. Nasty Boys didn't give a shit. They wanted oh. to be booed. Yeah. And uh, they were so good at it. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a pretty good match, to be fair. And, like, back and forward and that. And uh, end of the match comes when they hit the uh, Doomsday device, one, two, three, and the fans do go wild at the celebration of it. Yeah, this yeah, match yeah. did do my tits in, though, because it's supposed to be a no-holds-barred ma- bar- no match, but the ref's enforcing the one-in-one-out you know, one one rule, mm-hmm. making him, you know, making him hold, the, uh, hold the tag rope and shit like that, and then they felt the need to sneak Jimmy... <laughs> this is going to sound wrong. Made the, felt the need to sneak <laughs> Jimmy Hart's helmet in. Ooh. <laughs> 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 to... Uh, you know, to for, for somebody to get whacked with. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking wow. may as well just go all in on that. Yeah. <laughs> it like that. So just it, it just kind of I was just kind of and I was like, just have it be a fucking brawl. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good. I was going to say I think Sorry. that's part of the problem that we've kind of been spoiled with so much hardcore wrestling that came after this. You know, everything that sort yeah. of ECW set set the stage for. It, this this at the time was probably a really good match, but it, it didn't feel like a great hardcore match to me with 2020. No. And I, I don't normally look at matches like that, but th- this one did kind of stick out a bit of a sore thumb for the reasons Dan mentioned. Yeah, it, it just it didn't feel like a no DQ match at all, apart from yeah. coming right to the end where uh, uh, they were allowed to use the helmet to to knock the nasty boys out. That was the only part that they really kind of invoked the the no uh, disqualification rule. But it was a typical uh, Legion of Doom match. We got uh, Hawk doing his selling section, and then we got Animal getting the hot tag doing the the the, the kind of like power moves, and then leading to a, a Doomsday device and, and new champions and arguably the the best tag team that there's ever been in the history of, of wrestling. Yeah. The only time anybody's ever popped for Jimmy Hart's helmet. <laughs> <laughs> You're coming in strong with those jokes. 
<laughs> what I liked about the end was one of the 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 nasty boy who wasn't being pinned came into the ring to break try to break up the pin at the end, and Hawk just booted him. Yeah. And now these yeah. days you would just see the like Hawk would do a really clumsy miss of or or, or just ignore the other wrestler coming in, and they would break the pin, and they'd go on for a few more near falls. God and. Um... And the Legion do made history that night as well because uh, they before this they was the AWA tag champs and they won the NWA and mm-hmm. after tonight they became WF tag team champions. So and I think as far as I know they're the only team to do that as well. So uh, yeah, just great stuff. And uh, next uh, we see uh, the Mountie again and uh, he's getting dr- dragged away, to, uh, dragged towards his cell. So we'll get back to him later on. And uh, well, well, I think I think it's in this segment. Uh, he says or something like, "We speak the same language." Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> it's such a good line. Like, you have the right to remain silent. Uh, anything you can say can be used in evidence against you. And then they just toss him in the cell. <laughs> yeah. And uh, next, we see the uh, re-debut of uh, IRS, uh, who we haven't seen for a long time. Uh, Mike returned it. Uh, I think the last time we saw him was WrestleMania 3, maybe, in the tag team match. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong. might have been WrestleMania 1, even. Uh, it's been a while. Before this, James. But yeah. Bobby Heenan uh, interrupts Piper by going, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I know they've edited out, but I know when they let it went live, he said, Badlands now has merch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why I love Bobby Heenan. He knew, he knew a good thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, IRS... Um, Mike Rotunda uh, cuts a promo about taxes and he's against <laughs> the bowling alley stepmom. <laughs> Greg the other <laughs> <Valentine. laughs> Bowling alley stepmom versus business mullet. Oh, wow. So, I mean, this is... Greg, Greg looked old like then. I mean, just... He was 40. <laughs> wow. I looked up his age for that match. He was 40 when that match took place. <laughs> But he'd looked fifty-seven for about ten years by that yeah, point. It was, it was, it was weird seeing him like that. He had a lot of uh, timber over the veranda. Let's just say that it's a it's a monkey's paw thing where he he found a monkey's paw and he wished for eternal eternal like youth or long life. And he went, "We'll save you as you are now, but you'll look that way forever." <laughs> yeah, and he had, he still does as well. Though. He looked he looked the same when he cropped up on Dynamite the other week. You know, when they had the strap match, he was on Dynamite. Yeah, he was sat in the crowd. They literally just had him there because he was once in a strap match, apparently. Oh, you're missing all these uh, these nuggets, uh, James, by not getting involved with with AEW. Well, well, all I'm saying is right. They have cheat to complain about WWE bringing back the likes of Goldberg and AEW's fetching back fucking Greg Valentine. Okay, <laughs> he, he did have his gear with him, apparently. You've got to pop the reins. He hasn't aged a day since that. <laughs> probably still had the gear on underneath his, his regular clothes I think I did spy his robe about three rows back where he left it just in case <laughs> and his fucking boots are horrific they're just bright yellow horrid GB boots yeah. the thing is he was always there Greg Valentine no, we take the piss out of him but he was always there yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> like almost every major card you just that was a Greg Valentine match. Wait, why? But then you can't really answer why not. Yeah, and and in the match, I mean, this was a this was definitely a piss break match. It was That's nothing really down. kind of a there was nothing really kind of interesting about it apart from the end when uh, Greg's shoulders were clearly up uh, and yeah. yet he still got pinned. 
Just and Gorilla Monsoon pointing out why nobody just grabs hold of the tie or suspenders. Yeah. Well, there was, <laughs> there was one part. There was one part. And I didn't know if the fans were chanting "airing" or "boring." Oh, it was definitely I, boring. And all, all I kept thinking about was the Simpsons. <laughs> they saying "boo" or "birds." <laughs> Boo words. <laughs> birds. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a bit in this match though where uh, Gorilla Monsoon says um, there's a rumour that Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker have been seen near MSG so yeah. it sounded very much like Transfer Deadline Day you know where uh... <laughs> where you see Peter Adam Wingy rocking up at Tottenham yeah. <laughs> Harry Redknapp was on standby to give an interview from a car it would have been better if they said there'd been a rumour that Ric Flair had been seen uh, with the uh... yeah. Well, Rick Flair's been seen in a, been in a bar three blocks away. <laughs> now he's in a bar two blocks away. Now he's in a bar a block away. <laughs> now he's gone back to the one two blocks away. <laughs> <laughs> now he's been signed to play in defence for Fulham because he was the fifth choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 he sacked that off to go to a strip club. Fair play. <laughs> and uh, end of the match comes where uh, uh, Valentine attempts a figure four and he gets reversed into a small package and uh, win for... IRS, uh, but you just mentioned them, uh, Rob, uh, Jake Snake Roberts and uh, Undertaker, and I think people must be thinking, where are they? Because there was, especially Jake, who's been prominent, like, top of the mid-card, I suppose you could say. So, after WrestleMania, uh, once Jake was finished up with uh, Rick Martel, started feuding with the earthquake, and we got the famous uh, earthquake burgers after the earthquake, mm, earthquake splash uh, Damien. Now, for animal rights groups, is who I don't know why they're listening. <laughs> he didn't actually crush the snake. It was vertigan meat stuffed in pantyhose with a little electric motor in the bag. So uh, that's what happened. And after the loss of Damien, I think uh, best way to explain, Jake, he went off the deep end more than normal. But during this same sort of time, the Undertaker was feuding with the Ultimate Warrior, and on the live shows, they would be having like body bag matches. And it got to a point where. Jake came to the Warrior and said that he knew the secrets of the Undertaker. So he put him through three trials. And the first trial was that the Undertaker had to dig up his own grave and get buried alive, basically. I forgot what the second trial was, but the third and final trial uh, was he had to go into a glass cage or glass room. And he went to open a box and the Cobra came out and basically bit the Warrior. And Undertaker and Paul Bearer came out to join forces with Jake the Snake and Jake the Snake cut the famous line, never trust a snake. And uh, that's why, uh, so that's what's been happening with them. So, but we will be seeing them later on, or we won't be, I suppose, but we'll get into that. <laughs> Sound like I'm a wrestler, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was his challenge. He only won one star that day. They had to eat grass and beans. <laughs> that's, why they, that's why they had to eat uh, Damien burgers. <laughs> well, not only can't they afford full gear, they can't afford to eat as well. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, next, well, it uh, goes back to Gorilla and he says, next up, we've got the match made in hell. And Bobby says, oh, the wedding's next. <laughs> <laughs> he was so good. He was so quick with it. Oh, he's just the best. The thing, the thing about Bobby Heenan that struck me throughout this show was, and just as I've been going back and watching more and more of his stuff, the way he just, he'll just come up with something on the spot, like start rumours out of nothing. And he's like lying yeah. and spreading half truths and manipulating stuff. And like make it, you know, deliberate misunderstandings and stuff like that. It, it's just what makes him great as a heel commentator. Yeah. Weirdly, it'd also make him a very effective politician nowadays. <laughs> it was almost disturbing because I was looking at it just going, 
Fucking Ellie sounds a bit like Trump, but more articulate. <laughs> it's like if Boris Johnson brushed his hair <laughs> and could form a sentence without a hand up his ass. Well, Trump was a great wrestling character. It's just a shame that he um, didn't realise it wasn't supposed to be real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, next up, we see uh, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior with this promo. Where, <laughs> oh, man, I, I don't know. I just started pissing myself watching it. They was just, they were so much trying to outdo each other. <laughs> it, it really was. And yeah, the Hulkamaniacs and the Warriors new one there, the Warrior Wildness. <laughs> they were just swinging they... the tiny steroid shriveled dicks at each other, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, the, the end of the promo when uh, uh, Warrior was like face to face with Hogan and Hogan like just re- like basically went face to face back just <laughs> just for one upsmanship. And it was like, come on, guys, you. It should, they should, it should have done a Kip Sabian and just gone, just a little kiss. <laughs> My favourite one was what Warriors said. He was talking about Slaughter and his gang. And he was like, they'll walk out the same way they wa- uh, they'll walk out the way they walked in. The same. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, does he not go on a rant about that? We won't come by air or we won't come by a tank. We'll just walk. I don't think you could fit a tank in Manson Square Gardens. There's no like, entrance big enough. Uh, but yeah, they, those are again more coke fueled, just ridiculous promos. Yeah, the staffer walks in though, it looks like a bushwhacker. It was quite worryingly close to goose stepping. Uh, yeah. I was, it, if his hand were just a little bit more outstretched, I'd want to thought he was working for Iraq and more East Germany. <laughs> and uh. Sid Justice also makes his way to the ring as well, and fucking hell, he was massive. Like during the match when he was like squaring up to Hogan and Warrior, he was massive compared to them two. And we're, we're not talking about any of the two guys; we're talking about the Hogan and Warrior. Yeah, I mean, the, what was Hogan built as like six three, and um, Sid was a good four five inches taller than him, like really looking down on him. So yeah, it was it was it was built like a brick shit house. He was massive. It was the way yeah. Hogan and Warrior both just bounced off him. Mm-hmm. When, yeah. like, just during the match when they got, you know, there was a bit of a miscommunication. Just Boffin is just there, like, all right, dickheads. <laughs> and uh, well, the majority, well, uh, the match obviously people ain't paying attention. It's Hogan and Warrior against the Triangle Terry, which is Slaughter, General Adnan, and uh, Colonel Mustafa or Stian Sheikas, we know him as. And but for the biggest part of this match, Hogan just makes it, basically makes Sergeant Slaughter his bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he just slaps them around like for a good ninety percent of this match. Um, it's such a weird start it. to the match. You, you, you very yeah. rarely see the faces corner the heel. Yeah, and just, I, like you I, say, it just went on for ages. Hogan was always kind of like that kind of heel that uh, that kind of face that used those sly heel tactics and and got away with it. Hogan spit on Slaughter at one point. If, if that had been 2020, it'd have been news. <laughs> COVID. It had been it had been up on an assault charge. <laughs> no, I was speaking to Jamie Carriger when he. <laughs> I, t- I tell you what, I did enjoy General Adnan. You know that uh, them back rakes he done. Oh God! <laughs> he, uh, Could you imagine? Going to be a weird reference, but looking at General Adnan with his haircut and how exaggerated and over the top he was. For some reason, it reminded me of Captain Bertarelli out of Allo Allo. 
<laughs> I don't, don't know if anybody else remembers I, I, that, but it was just like lightly. Oh god! And I'll tell you what, you know them back ricks. Can you imagine someone like Walter doing them these days? <laughs> you have no back. I'd, I'd expect to see blood. <laughs> I'd expect to see skin. <laughs> off his back, like Freddy absolutely Kruger. flayed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Sheik uh, gets the uh, camel clutch on uh, Hogan, which was a bit of a callback. Uh, and yeah, Piper, and uh, um, Piper actually said it's um, the first time he's uh, been in the camel clutch since 1983. So they were actually calling out something that happened before WrestleMania One, which they never ever did, yeah. and yeah. admitted that. Um, Mustafa is the sheik. So I he got a bollocking. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Breaking came. What are you doing? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I was amazed that in this match, Warrior hit the first actual wrestling move. Like yeah. beyond <laughs> just punches and strikes yeah. and fucking about, he hit an atomic line. drop. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, he did a, a really good flying clothesline as well. Yeah. And then Iron Sheik hit a gut wrench suplex. Yeah. Which, yeah. I just, I just love that move for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> And towards the end of the match, uh, Warrior picks up a steel chair and he chases Adnan and uh, the Iron Sheik uh, to the back. And uh, as that's happened, uh, Hogan throws his, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, calls it victory powder. <laughs> we can make <laughs> we can make many jokes while it possibly could be. And uh, it's a leg drop for the one, two, three. And uh, Hogan the Warrior wins the match. The success sniff straight to the face. <laughs> What, why but, did he do that? Why, why, did he, why did he use powder? Was that a callback to something else? No, it's just holding no idea. a heel. It just <laughs> the loved. It's not a heel, Max. Um, John, Johnny Swinger in Impact said that um, you're legally allowed to throw um, powder in someone's face if you shout Fuji first. <laughs> <laughs> they are the, that is one of the rules of wrestling. You are allowed and, to do that. Uh, it just seemed, it just seemed bizarre because, like, like you said, Warrior had already chased off the other two, so it was no longer an, a handicap match. But Warrior yeah. chasing him off when he's holding the chair upside down and with the padded side out, like facing towards <laughs> him. I just I had to pause and because I just started laughing my ass off at it. It was just brilliant. And uh, after the match, Hogan's celebrating. And then he points towards the cairn, and you can see Sid Justice just popping his head through the cairn, like. <laughs> <laughs> I zoned out. I thought he was pretending to be a nun. I thought he was just dicking about. <laughs> What's going on? Like, like just, like the camera cut to him. Uh, he brings him into the ring and they uh, do some posing, basically a mini Hulk. And th- now this is the thing. So Vince McMahon had all intentions of making Sid Justice the next Hulk Hogan. And he said that to him. Sid Justice turned it down and actually said to Fence, no, I prefer working as a heel. I'm thinking, you stupid bastards. <laughs> you could have been the next big superstar like Babyface and you turned it down because you prefer working as a heel. I mean, the, and... the way he ripped off his top, though, it just like tugged on it and it just fell to bits. Really bad uh, workmanship there. The, I'd have been, I'd wanted my money back for that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it did show how little attention um, Sid Justice paid to wrestling. I mean, he, he was famous for for caring more about softball and um, didn't even know yeah. WrestleMania was a big event and stuff. But, um, you know, Hulk Hogan's doing his pose, which is like one of the most famous thing in wrestling. And, and, and Sid just goes, what oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's this? What's happening? The thing is that the older I get, the more I just more I realise just how ridiculous Hogan was and I question how it ever got over. Mm-hmm. He was, it's just, 
it was ridiculous. It was he's a balding bloke with a bleach blonde skullet, a handlebar handlebar mustache. When he starts doing his pose and he's just pretending to be deaf. Yeah. <laughs> how the fuck did it get over? And he was just how, great fun to watch. I, I think, how I think, was his skin so leathery? What? <laughs> yeah. what why the minute does he get when he starts sweating? Does it become like shiny leather? It's really <laughs> weird. He had very weird skin. <laughs> I thought it was a shame about this match. This match didn't feel as kind of as heated as the WrestleMania one. I think it's probably because they didn't make a big play of like all the Americana like they did at WrestleMania. Yeah. This this one just felt a bit a bit of a damp squib. Yeah. Well, Sarge was not happy at all being the the heel in this storyline and, and uh, being the Iraqi sympathizer, and he he really had to be like uh, corked into the storyline by Vince. So yeah, maybe it was a case of. They did had the fun with the WrestleMania. They'd like really played on the the Operation Desert Storm stuff, and now this was just a way to to end it, I suppose. Yeah. And speaking of ends, this is the end of uh, the Ultimate Warrior. So, for people that doesn't know, so after WrestleMania, Warrior complained about his payday and saying that it should be more in line with uh, Hulk Hogan and saying I've put the work in and all these things and. And what he wanted was similar pay to Hogan on every pay-per-view. And also a cut from like merchandise similar to Hogan. And Fitness agreed to it. He said, okay, you can have it. So SummerSlam ha- happened. And <laughs> the urban legend is, when you saw Warrior ran through them uh, curtains chasing after Adnan and uh, Dashik, Someone apparently handed him a piece of paper by Vince McMahon and saying, "Right, you're finished." <laughs> saying, "Get out!" <laughs> <laughs> unprofessional. He said, "Unprofessional." Threatened to um, what he caught boycott our biggest show of the summer and uh, all these things and uh, yeah. And so this is the end of the Ultimate Warrior for now. But after this, he was gone for a little bit. So. Uh, Bye-bye, Warrior. Um, Another facet so... of that was that apparently Hogan and Slaughter had both uh, uh, threatened to deal with Warrior, what they call the old school way, and were just wow. going to kick the shit out of him the next time they saw him. So Vin, as because of that, Vince sort of just gave him the money because he didn't want that physical alter- altercation to happen. And then he was, I assume, he was just going to fire him anyway. Yeah. So uh, that's the end of the Warrior for now. Um, so great run by the Warrior. What? Uh, I I personally think 1990 he was the biggest star of that year, even though Hogan was there. But Warrior, you know, had a great shot at the Rumble, defeated Hogan at WrestleMania. Great match with a uh, steel cage match with Rick Rude and Survivor Series, you know, uh, Survivor with Hogan at the end. So he had a great year. And they said that like the reason a lot of people think the Warriors' run was a failure because he wasn't drawn as well as Hogan, but I would imagine if you look at the numbers he was drawing compared to, like, obviously you can't take today because of COVID, but the last five or ten years, I would imagine these numbers are pretty damn bigger than what you've been getting lately for house shows. Yeah, and I, I suppose using Hogan as the yardstick, almost everyone's going to fail uh, because yeah. he was so massive that, that hardly anyone could match up to his drawing power in, in early 90s WWF. So I, I, I don't think it was... Uh, uh, that Warrior was a, a failure as, as champion. I think it was a, more of a failure because of his attitude backstage and, and the way he kind of believed his own bullshit. Yeah. And on, uh, um, 
one of the things about this SummerSlam, this SummerSlam was the only SummerSlam ever to sell more pay-per-view buys than the WrestleMania in the same year. Wow, that's right. So, um, uh, well, which probably has something to do with, you know, the Savage Elizabeth wedding sort of thing. But uh, Yeah, it, it rubber stamps what we were saying last episode, that, that Elizabeth was the draw. Her and her and Hogan were the two biggest stars in the WF at that time. So her being part of the main event, yeah, you can totally understand why this uh, this sold like gangbusters. Yeah, and uh, we go back to the final appearance of the Mountie. And he, <laughs> fucking he, hell! As I'm this was that, the best appearance. This was the best one of them. As he's in you the want to fight cell. me, buddy. Okay, here's my buddy. <laughs> oh, I love the feel of leather. And he's like, ah! <laughs> it was great. I, I mean, obviously, 2020 eyes and all stuff like that. Yeah, but it's just a different time. But nothing says early 90s and Vince McMahon like uh, homophobia in a prison rape joke. Exactly. He did. <laughs> It, the, the guy did like one of the members of the Blue Oyster Club from uh, Police Academy. He <laughs> yeah. looked like uh, one of the uh, YMCA guys. Yeah, it was funny. And uh, yeah, so the <laughs> it goes back to commentary and Piper is in stitches. <laughs> he is got the biggest smile on his face watching it. It's such good stuff. And uh, we now go to the uh, match made in heaven and uh, it shows you a clip of the proposal and I piss myself laughing because <laughs> Matchman's on his knee. Elizabeth, will you marry me? If that was me getting proposed to by the matchman, I'd be like, fucking hell, yeah, don't worry, you're gonna beat me up. <laughs> How intense was that proposal? <laughs> yeah. And it took him forever to go down to his knee and like you could hear the crowd like uh, chanting uh on on one knee, on one knee and it took him about twenty minutes for him to like get down on one knee. But they had well, the it, crowd in the palm of the hand. That was the thing that yeah. they, they, they were milking it for all it was worth. Um, you know, j- just dragging it out. But that's how over it was. Especially considering that they were already married. They'd been married for ages. Wouldn't it have been funny after he said, Will you marry me? Liz went, Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, she tried, bless her. She tried. <laughs> yeah, she did. She put so much effort in that. Oh, yeah, it's when they said a, tri- a tribute to Macho and Liz, uh, like a love song, and Heenan just goes, Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this this is the part of the show what offended me the most out of everything we've seen. So, never mind gay prisoners like potentially <laughs> raping the mountain and things like that. <laughs> this part upset me the most when the music video came on. Now, I watched this back in the day on video cassette. And I remember the infamous song, Together, on the network, they got some generic random shit. And the song doesn't fit, the lyrics of the song doesn't fit the storyline at all. No? I did wonder it's... about that, because I've never seen the original. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, this, well, sounds a bit... treat, then was like this sounds a this sounds a bit too modern. It sounded yeah, like an Ed yeah. Sheeran, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was, That's well, why I, I didn't was... like it. I was still let down. I'll tell you what it was, though. When you was watching the highlights of the two, and obviously the two of them sadly passed away since, it did tug at the heartstrings a little bit when you watch the clips of them, like when he he's at very beginning days in WWE and like up to that point in that. It did tug on the old heartstrings, but uh, it gets you um, to the wedding and uh, 
you see like the best man come out and there was Bobby Heenan's just on fire and there's there's one part when the flower girl comes out and you can tell Heenan's about to say something and Gorilla's like don't start yeah. <laughs> and then when the ring bearer comes out and, put, and Heenan just slips on the ring bearer is really a midget will you stop yeah. <laughs> a genuine question was one of the flower girls Stephanie McMahon I've, it, it felt like it looked like a I don't I know, but be too old for What's that? Uh, I think she might be a bit too old for that because because that flower girl was quite young, wasn't she? she I was meant to Google, Google it because uh, it did look like uh, I was going to Google it and I, f- I forgot to do so. I think at this time as well, uh, I remember like one of the first photos. Stephanie, she's modelling like the Rockist T-shirt, and it would have been around about this time. And she could tell like she's like in a bit like early teenage, like twelve or thirteen. So might yeah, might be, but I don't think it's. Um, so did well, anyone know who the best man actually was? Was it just some random bloke? Because I didn't recognise him whatsoever. It was one of the guys no. from the front row you were complaining about earlier. <laughs> the twat in the fucking <laughs> the mustard jumper. They made him go change his mustard jumper, right? Put a fucking tux on, we forgot to cast a party. You seem enthusiastic. <laughs> it's funny, though, because the macho man's like made, it, made a whole career out of um, getting his brother a payday. You would have thought yeah. that they'd have uh, yeah. <laughs> made him in for this. <laughs> I think was the genius not a heel at this time though, so he would have had to do a quick face turn. Yeah. What do you think to uh, match a man's suit? Was glorious. It... Bobby Roode can go fuck himself, and that is glorious in wrestling. <laughs> the, fe- the feather got me. The massive oh. flat feather stood upright from the hat was was stunning. If I could pull that hat off, I would. And how much kind of swagger has he got that he he got married with his uh, trademark sunglasses on? The I guy know, Max, is a gangster. I, Mags, I think you're a big enough fish to pull off a hat like that. Perhaps, yeah. Mags in, in uh, Asda in Burnley with that hat. <laughs> <laughs> He'd get the shit kicked out of him in three oh, seconds flat. We're a Tesco family. We don't go to Asda. That's going sacrilege. Up, going up that um, slope of Bayer Belt up to the next level with that hat yeah, on. Getting caught in the air vent. <laughs> like pulling you back. <laughs> and... Elizabeth comes out, looking beautiful, and uh, they're saying the nuptial, uh, nuptials, and <laughs> I love it when the figure is asking Liz, <laughs> do you say I do on that? And Matchaman stared out like, say it, bitch. <laughs> it was another classic line from Heenan as well, just before before it all started. It was like it'd gone dead quiet, and you just hear Heenan say, look at look at Macho standing on the gallows. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> but um, they get married, and that ends the show, but does it? Now, uh, Dan, you said you haven't seen the original version, but I would imagine the other three chaps possibly have. So they missed the, the best segment of the show, and the big lead-up point wasn't on the actual pay-per-view, but it was actually on Coliseum Home Videos, and it's the reception. And uh, it was fun stuff, and uh, Bobby Heenan turns up, and with his head looking distraught, and uh, Sid Justice is there, and they're having the dance and things like that, and it's time to open the presents. And as Liz opens one of the presents, all of a sudden, a big fucking Cobra comes out, and The Undertaker and Jake Snake crash the, part, crash the wedding, I suppose you could say, and uh, they attack um, Macho Man, and <laughs> there's a part where Jake says about Liz, but shit that bitch down. <laughs> you can actually hear him say it. And I love it that he's trying to scare her, but you can, Liz is just like slapping. <laughs> yeah, uh, cool. uh, and uh, the reason for this, 
like we mentioned earlier, so um, take uh, Warrior was originally feeding with Taker and Jake. So it would have made sense for Warrior to be having a match with one of them two gentlemen at this show. But because with the contract issues, Vince was like, right, I know what I'm doing Warrior afterwards, so I'm going to kick him out and try and program Taker and uh, Jake with someone else. And that's why they started bringing the matching man out of retirement. And this is basically now going to be your big angle for the next few months. So uh, for the ones of you who watched that clip, what did you think? Yeah, I remember watching it uh, originally. Uh, it's a shame that it's not actually on the network uh, showing it, but I think you can get it on the Superstars episode. Uh, oh, right. Um, but yeah, this it was. It was the best part of it. And the, the, the way they cut to the Cobra coming out of the present, you could well tell that that, that Cobra wasn't actually in that, pre- that present and it wasn't filmed at the same time. But yeah, it, it was a fun show. And, uh, apparently, the story is that that Randy told Vince that he didn't want to come back uh, wrestling and he wanted to have kids and try and have some kids with uh, with Elizabeth. But uh, it was Vince that convinced him to come back because of all the the warrior stuff. Um, but yeah, if you haven't seen this uh, this segment, Dan, definitely go and go and look it up because it really adds a lot of context to to how we get to the next part of the storyline with. Uh, with Savage and, and Jake. I've got my homework then. I really need to see. I also, th- just the first thing that came to mind when you said about the really badly edited snake coming out of the present, I've not even seen it, but I know I want to see a parody of it with Santino Morella. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Cobra. Yeah. <laughs> How do you prefer Jake? Did you prefer him as babyface or prefer him like this heel? I thought it was about heel. I, yeah. I um, I, I know there was a, a period where um, um, he, he was working face and um, he was getting a bigger reaction than Hogan, so um, this uh, the, the machine shot him down sort of thing, which was yeah. quite angry yeah. about. But, I mean, that, that the sinister... And as you said, that, that whole programme he had with the warrior when he'd sort of, you know, lured him in and was sort of trying to be his mentor or whatever, and then, then he turned on him, I just thought it was brilliant. But he always seemed a bit sinister while he was doing it. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was a great heel. Yeah, I, I remember that... reading. Um, sorry, I remember listening to a shoot interview with uh, Jake, and he was talking about uh, when he was getting those uh, pops bigger than Hogan, and he wanted to go and like put on pack on some muscle so he could like That's compete right. as a uh, in that like world world title uh, kind of um, uh, status. But Vince said no, absolutely not. In fact, we want you to lose uh, muscle. We want you to to kind of be like a snake, being like very uh, slim and slath. And uh, yeah, I always thought it was, I don't think as a full out heel, he was my favorite. I think it was when you couldn't trust him, when yeah. you didn't know whether he was going to be a heel and, uh, or a face. And the, the warrior stuff, like you said, was, was perfect because uh, when he said, I'd never trust a snake and all the, the kind of good work he'd done, it was turned on a dime and you, you you then didn't trust him. I thought that was when he was at his best. Yeah, I think um, AEW fucked up, really, because I would have had Jake as the leader of the Dark Order, and all you had to do was like have him in a dark room with the Dark Order and like cut him promos from there. You don't even need him to come out to ringside. Just have him in this room cutting promos and like giving instructions to the Dark Order and, you know, sending them to do his bidding. Like, how much better would that actually be for his role? Because 
I don't really like care. Jake in the AW one little bit. I don't think his no. promos are as good as the ones he used to do in, in the WWF. Uh, I think they would have been better served having him like use his, his wrestling kind of knowledge backstage rather than him being a, an on-screen character. Yeah. He has had, had moments in AEW, though. When, when he debuted and he had that uh, promo with Cody, and um, he said, um, you know, they always say in wrestling, never turn your back on... Um, um, someone um, that you um, that you respect or whatever, and then he just like turned his back on him, sort of thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was really good, but um, yeah, the, the, it's been hit and miss. Yeah, with uh, going back to Jake though and saying, do you prefer him face or heel? I think the actual answer for all of it is we prefer Jake blindfold. <laughs> <laughs> with one wire. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, before we get to the awards. Uh, that's the. Uh, End of the pay-per-view, so uh, thumbs up or thumbs down for the pay-per-view? I, I thought it was a decent pay-per-view. I, th- I think one problem it had was ha- how it were the match placement and how it um, was paced. I think yeah. it, it could have shuffled it round. I mean, that that interview segment in the middle really seemed to drag. Um, and it was a bit bizarre because it started with that um, six-man tag that didn't seem to have anything behind it. And then they filled yeah. the rest of the show with interview segments, and it's like that that one really needed it. And then there was a little bit too much uh, later on, so it just it just felt the balance was a little bit off. But th- there were clearly iconic things in it. I mean, the the Bret Hart match, the the wedding, um, you know, the, the Mountie running the thing, through the whole thing. The, the, there were brilliant things to it. Uh, it just didn't it didn't quite feel like they got the most out of it. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it was a front-heavy show. The, 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 yeah. the, the first half of it was far more enjoyable than the second half, in my opinion. Yeah, it, I think if you were grading it... Of, well, Sorry, Max, go on. I was no, but... say, if, you, if you look at it objectively, it was the three... Uh, I don't even want to say matches, because obviously the last part wasn't a match, but it was a three-segment show. You had the, the jailhouse match, you had the, the, uh, the match made in heaven, and then the match made in hell. Uh, and all the rest kind of did seem like filler. But I think, it, uh, and to, to kind of like rubber stamp Rob's point, if you kind of shuffled this card around, uh, it could have flowed a lot better, I think. But yeah. all in all, there was some really good action. I mean, that that Brett and uh, Perfect match was was out. That's a five-star match any day of the week for me. That was so, so good. Uh and yeah, it it was entertaining, and that's what you want wrestling to be at the end of the day. It was never going to be, uh, it was never going to be kind of like uh, a Dave Meltzer uh, five star rated event, but it did what it needed to do and kind of like pushed you on to Survivor Series, which yeah, it it was very successful in that respect. Cool. And, yeah, I was uh, going to say if um, if you had to grade it, it'd be like a C, like a C plus B minus sort of level. Because what Rob yeah. was saying about that six-man tag, they actually the, the history in that tag match was Bulldog and Warlord. Yeah. But they yeah. were only in the ring together for for a couple of minutes, and then, like you say, the Bret Hart Perfect was a classic, and yeah, it was it was it was decent. It didn't blow any minds. And um, speaking of matches and things like that, we'll get to the awards. So uh, match of the night. So we'll start off with uh, Mr. Paul Tolly. What's your match of the night? Uh, Virgil, million dollar man for me. You're yeah. so you're wrong. You sit there in your wrongness. No, I, I, Brett and Perfect was a better yeah, match, wrestling match. 
That was a better wrestling match, but Virgil, uh, Virgil and uh, um, Million Dollar Man had the better story, and the way they played out in the match was really entertaining. Did you call yourself a Boss Man fan? <laughs> <laughs> and for you, Rob, what's your match tonight? Um, I, d- I did like the um, um, Virgil DiBiase match. I think the, one of the things that uh, um, I, I was a bit sad about. They didn't make the most out of Sherry, I didn't think. And and the yes. fans actually cheered when she got um, taken away. And, I mean, we, we'd given her, like, the, um, you know, the, the star of the show for WrestleMania. She, she was kind of the glue that kept it all together and a bit subdued. Um, but, no, I mean, the, the perfect um, Bret Hart match was, was a classic match. Um, I, I'd kind of remembered it from years ago as being a good match, and I wasn't disappointed. Um, you know, I, I just thought that was really good. And for you, Dan? Uh, I can actually uh, I can go with the crowd on this one. I think uh, it's Bret Hart v Perfect for me. I, I can't go against me uh, my guys. I'm wearing a Bret Hart Christmas jumper as we record this. Um, <laughs> the but it was it was just it. that match. <laughs> <laughs> you you lot would have absolutely crucified me. But yeah, it was Bret Hart versus Perfect all day long. Like I said before, everything was so slick. Every every near fall felt like it was going to be the last one. It felt like it meant something. Just. Yeah. The whole thing was quality. Cool. And I was imagine your answers the same, Mags. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go the same as, as the two people we've sent in this uh, in this uh, <laughs> group. It was perfect, yep. and, and yeah, <laughs> it was definitely perfect. And, and Bret Hart, it was it was a, a match that you could uh, you could put on now, and it would still be a classic. The the unique spot with the the sharpshooter, uh, the the way like Paul said, it, it felt like an actual fight, and the selling was just on point and. It made Bret Hart a single star. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was just a quality, quality match. So, yeah, that, that head and shoulders above everything else for me. Yeah, there's uh, something else I can say. I agree. Um, that's one of my favorite matches growing up as a child and going back to watch it again uh, last week. Uh, loved it. So, should we uh, put Paul up f- first for every award so we can just disagree with this is my wednesday nights being disagreed with so why not do it I'm friday night as well a badlands rule and veto is is, uh, is a word i may uh, like, allow james. people to veto him <laughs> james can i just Shut ask up. do we have a mullet do we have a mullet of the show this week because i made a list of all the dodgy mullets <laughs> oh yeah We've got it. yeah definitely uh the next one we've got is uh, Moment of the Night. We'll go back to Paul again. <laughs> oh, Moment of the Night. Uh, oh, that's... that's uh, what do I, I, I go for Moment of the Night? That's uh, a fairly I'll, obvious one I'll, near the end. I'll start things off if you want. Because uh, I'm a Bret Hart fan. For me, it's Bret winning the IC title. It's just my Moment of the Night because I'm a big Bret Hart fan. And that was his first crowning achievement like his first singles success so and because it was in partnership with a great match so Brett winning the IC title and it's been engraved in my head for years like that him having perfect in the sharpshooter so that's my moment of the night anyway what James said just because I'm a Bret Hart like shill <laughs> fair enough <laughs> uh, I'll, go, I'll go for the wedding the wedding Cool. The show, the show was about the wedding, wasn't it? So, so, so the wedding was the moment of the night. For for me, it was the uh, it was the prison segments with uh, 
the bank, I thought there were some really well produced kind of like funny little interludes that that it added more kind of a gravitas to the match. Uh, and I, sometimes you don't always get that once the match is over. That's the kind of like the the storyline done and dusted. But I like the way that they they kept playing up to that all the way through the rest of the show. So yeah, for me, it's it's those like little vignettes. Cool. And uh, you, Rob? Yeah. And um, I mean, just just to reiterate with that thing about the the Mountie segments, it it felt more realistic than uh, a lot of the uh, vignettes we get today. So that, that yeah. was a bonus. But no, it, it, it's got to be the wedding. I mean, okay, it did sound like the commentary was the stuff we get for Eurovision and, you know, because they had these random blokes uh, commentating on a wedding yeah. who didn't know what they were doing. And um, it, it, it's that whole wrestling without wrestling, which a lot of yeah. people don't like. And I know Vincent Mann has this dream of, managing uh, at some point to put out a show with no wrestling on at all but um it, it clearly was the big draw of the night mm-hmm. to, to get and not a single person left for the wedding you know you, you yeah. would think that if you had hardcore cynical wrestling fans who'd gone in there they would have been like i'm not staying for this shit but yeah. everyone was invested yeah and that, that just says so much mm-hmm. and that that's yeah. a cynical new york crowd as well that's not oh yeah, yeah. Cool. And uh, before we get to our well, night, uh, final good of all the night, we've got the uh, MVP of the night, so we'll go to uh, Max first. Perfect. Yeah. I thought that he made uh, Bret Hart, uh, I mean, Bret Hart doesn't need a lot of help making himself look good in, in the ring because he's, he's so slick, but I think perfect really kind of elevated Bret. Uh, and then to hear the backstory about how he wrestled that match, uh, basically crippled um, yeah, it's got to be Mr. Perfect. I thought he was the standout on this show. Cool. And you, Dan? I was tempted to to go for Perfect as well, or Bret Hart for winning the title. But for me, weirdly, it's actually Roddy Piper. All oh, right. Because the extra dimension he brought to the commentary team, where you had him and Heenan sniping at each other all night, trading one-liners, and Gorilla in the middle, like trying to keep the peace, but occasionally getting a dig in, and all of that. It, it, and back then from what I've seen, because obviously I you know, don't remember back then very well, but it was very rare to have a three-man booth. Yeah. And even to this day, I'm not a massive fan of a three-man booth, but adding Piper into there, it worked so well. Yeah. So for me, it was Piper. Cool. And you, Paul? Brett for me. Right. For, watching this back, Brett's already the, the best wrestler on the card. And yeah. it's, it's still it's quite early on in his singles career, isn't it? Um, and the more I go back and more more I go back and research these shows for 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 this show and for Badlands, the more I've, I sign up to the theory Brett Brett was the best who ever did it. Do you think he'd get oh. on a Mount Rushmore ahead of Captain Lou Albano now? <laughs> he, he, he would now. He would now. I I if we were doing our, our Mount Rushmores now, well, we did our first ones two years ago. I definitely put Brett on, as I've looked more at the more at the history and done more research on it. And uh, you, uh, Rob, your MVP of the night. I was shook by that bombshell. I can't. I, I'm assuming Captain Lou would still be in the top four, just just not in the same. Yeah, just not. Yeah, yeah, just shift them around. <laughs> just just, just shuffle them around. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I'd have to go with Savage for um, the man of the night. I mean, uh, there were just those little sort of backstage uh, segments where he's getting ready for his wedding. But he's still doing the one nine hundred number or whatever um, yeah. it was, and, and trying to have like conversations, pretend with fans, but also um, 
you know, me, talk to me and Gene at the same time and just, just the way that... Did you, yeah, did you uh, focus uh, on the words he was saying in those conversations? Because it, it, looking back, it's, I don't remember them having them conversations, but then <laughs> listening to actually what he was talking about, it was quite weird. It was like, yeah, I'm really nervous. I'm uh, petrified is what you'd, you'd, call, you'd say. And then he's talking like as if the person on the other side of the phone was propositioning him like, to not <laughs> maybe get married and like, cheat on the that's, right. like, <laughs> that's a very dark phone call he's having on a 1-900 number. Well, it's funny as well because he, he was talking to a fan and um, then uh, Mean Gene said, oh, he, he's busy, I'll go and talk to uh, Miss Elizabeth next mm. door. Uh, and he just he just spun on a sixpence and, and yeah. was really, well, it's that jealous side that I guess was sort of creeping out of reality sort of thing that he didn't want um, Mean Gene to be left alone with Elizabeth um, sort of thing, although, although we do know Mean Gene's a ladies' man. Um, but yeah, just the way that he carried that whole, whole thing through. I know it's a little thing, but and then obviously it was the main draw. Well, half of the main draw of the show. Um, you know, I think it has to be match off. Well, imagine any wrestler in the modern era trying to trying to pull off a wedding angle in the main event of one of the big four. Yeah, yeah and, and no, no one, no one could pull it off. Uh, and it, hey, it, 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 you say that pulling it off on uh, AEW. Eric but, Young and Eric Young and ODB got married in a steel cage in their pants. On, on impact a few years back, that's the real that's the real best wedding in wrestling. Yeah, but they didn't, they didn't ask people to pay for that. Yeah, but Rosita and Sarita came out. Rosita <laughs> came out. <laughs> that was worth the ticket. <laughs> and uh, uh, my MVP of my uh, honourable mention is uh, Bobby Heenan because he was just so good on commentary tonight. Uh, but my MVP, uh, I gotta give it to the Mountie. That <laughs> um, it was a good match with the boss man and. Just these segments, these prison segments, it was just so funny. Uh, so I'll give it to him. Yeah, and it's to interesting our... that there's no consensus there between any of us. We've all gone for different people. It shows how how versatile of a card this this really, really was. Yeah, like I know use like some of these label it good in like middle of the cards, like C plus or B minus. Uh, I think it was like a an A minus show. Like I really enjoyed the blacks because. I remember getting this as a child and I've remember going back to the show all the time as a kid and I really enjoyed this show because it was quite varied. Uh, but yeah, it was good. And uh, we're down to our favourite award of the night, the uh, mother of the night. So Dan mentioned he's got a couple of written down, so we'll go to Dan first. <laughs> I, I actually wrote down every dodgy mullet on this show. Uh, from uh, In terms of who was in the ring, it was Hercules, Paul Roma, St- uh, Ricky Steamboat had a bit of a dodgy mullet on. Typhoon, Jimmy Hart, Nobs, Sags, Animal, Sid, and IRS. I was tempted to give it to the business mullet of IRS, but for me, it's got to be Sid and the Per mullet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that thing had body to it. Oh, it beautiful. was voluminous. <laughs> Go and uh, you, Paul, your mullet of the night. My Paul Romas, right out. Horseman yeah. mullet. <laughs> <laughs> the slick back top and sides and yep. long at the back. It's powerful it and glorious. Yeah, powerful <laughs> and glorious. <laughs> and you, Rob? Uh, it, it's got to be said that that it, it was so voluptuous. It, it made um, Eric Bischoff's um, AWA announcer hair look uh, subpar, and there's there's not much hair that can do that. <laughs> and you, Max? Now. 
I, the first thing I looked for was uh, was to see if Hawk continued his uh, his um, Mohawk joined into a mullet at the end. But unfortunately, he shaved it off, so I couldn't nominate him for, for this one again. And then I was also tempted to go for uh, a shared award with Brett and Perfect, just because of how greasy and uh, floppy their kind of uh, lazy perms were. But... You can't when you see Sid and the kind of bush at the back of his head, uh, looking like a lampshade. Yeah, it's got to be Sid. It was a it, it, that was a glorious hair, hairstyle to pull off, and yeah, he deserves the award this month. Yeah, I have to uh, agree, and because with him debuting on the show as well, it's the first time we've seen him on WWE pay per views. Uh, it has to be Sid, and they don't know about making a Vince McMahon movie and or a Hulk Hogan biopic. And if if this actor was younger, he would be my only choice to play Sid Justice, and that would be Michael Rooker. Yes. Every, t- every time Fucking you see Michael, yes. I, was watch- I was watching Cliffhanger the other night, and <laughs> I just kept looking and thinking, man, he's Sid Justice. <laughs> so well, uh, it, it'd have to be painted blue like uh, like when he's Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy as well, though. I just yeah. want a mulleted Yondu in the middle of a Vince McMahon movie. And Vince would be watching it and just like, I thought I hallucinated that. <laughs> I'm surprised you've seen Cliffhanger, Dan. I thought you'd be live tweeting it in sometime in 2023. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure I got to that in about 2004. Oh, not too long ago, then. <laughs> cool. Well, gents, it's been a great show. Uh, before we go, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on your social media? Go on, Tolly. You're new. No one. No, no one. <laughs> I, I, do the do the do the whole Badlands outro. Go on. No, no. I would. I won't do. I won't. I won't. I won't do that. I just on Twitter at Rain Counter. That's me. Oh wow, classic! Really push our content, Paul. It's awfully good of you. I'll when, do it then. When I'm on when I'm on Badlands, I'm like, yeah, I've done this interview. That interview you can find me here. Find me there. So. If you really want to hear Paul's voice again, and I have no understanding why you would, you can find him <laughs> on a podcast called Badlands with me at DJ Kerber. Uh, the show is at Badlands Pod. You can also find him on uh, at Five Nerds Go if you if you really want your Tolly Phil. <laughs> uh, look at that, me having to promote his his junk. So just ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> And you, Dan? Uh, if you want to read my bullshit tweets of movies that came out anywhere up to 35 years ago and wrestling that came out a minimum of six weeks ago, uh, I'm at Dan Griffin 21. Cool. And Rob? Yeah, um, I'm at uh, UTT Rob. Um, if you'd like to follow me, that'd be fantastic. I'll uh, do my best to follow back. Um, oh. I'm there. Cool. And for everyone who wants to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at that nineties wrestling podcast, or you can follow me on Instagram uh, on Twitter, sorry, at nineties wrestling pod. And if you're listening to this on podcast form, please hit that subscribe and give us five stars because it would mean a lot. And I was looking at the chat, and we are pretty fucking popular in Germany. I'm actually above uh, JR, so <laughs> feels pretty fucking good. <laughs> and uh, and if you're watching this on YouTube, please. Uh, you know, like and please subscribe. It does. Re- I mean, when I used to uh, watch videos, and when they say 
please subscribe, it helps the channel out. I'm like, does it? Now that I do it myself, I'm like, yeah, it really does help us. So, yeah, if you hit that subscribe button, it would mean a lot to us. And uh, we can keep bringing you this great content for free. And we'll never ask you to for Patreon or anything like that because I want YouTube's money, not yourselves. So if you hit that subscribe button, it'd be great. So, lads, thanks again for coming on. Next show we got is Survivor Series uh, 91. We'll be finishing off the year. And uh, pretty big show. Um, oh, I say we're going to be finishing off the year because uh, debating, I think we'll be reviewing this Tuesday in Texas afterwards. So uh, it's on the network. So if you're up to it, we'll do it. But the next show... It, is Survivor Series. How are, uh, how are we not reviewing the Hulk Hogan Hot Topic? Come on. <laughs> that was the next big thing. You didn't just go to Hot Topic and look at the T-shirts. We're nearing the end of Hulkamania. I don't want to prolong it any further. <laughs> so we're near the end. We've got like three shows left <laughs> uh, before we have a break. Um, but yeah, so Survivor Series 91, main event of uh, The Undertaker v Hulk Hogan. His gravest challenge and uh, some other shows. I don't think I've actually watched Survivor Series uh, 91. Uh, I've watched the main event, but not the actual. Well, it's not even the main events in the middle of the card. But I've watched the title match, but I don't think I've watched any of the match on it. So uh, it's gonna be a first for me. So uh, looking forward, gents. But till then, we'll see you uh, next time. Thanks for having me. See you next time. All right. Wait. See you then. Yeah, bye.